0: Wow. Thank you all so much for being here, um, and it's so wonderful to see people from so many different walks of my life. Some I've known for a long time, some I've known for a short time. People I know in very different contexts, and uh, some I'm just meeting tonight. So, uh, just really, really appreciate you know you taking the time, fighting the traffic, uh, being here the day before the long Labor Day weekend, and uh, just I really, really appreciate it. So thank you. Um, Going to talk a little bit about this this book here. Uh, Lost Canyon. This is my fifth novel. And uh, yeah, yeah, I think you've probably read all of them. Okay, thank you. You get, you get, uh, you, you want another glass of wine? I mean, you. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say just a few things. Uh, This is my fifth book, and in all of my books, I try to tell stories and write about places that don't always appear in fiction. Um, Most of my books have been set in Los Angeles. Uh, Many of them deal with communities of color and particularly kind of unexpected intersections uh, or mixtures of of people of color. My last book was set in rural Wisconsin, Uh, still dealt with race, but also really started to talk about landscape and the land. Uh, So this book is kind of a hybrid or a combination. It's very much a book about the city, in Los Angeles, uh, but it also then takes off into the into the mountains. And, um, you know, it's, I just want to talk a little bit about how it came to be. So I really love adventure and survival stories. You know, when people's lives are at risk and everything's exciting and, you know, you're about to fly over a cliff and what's and all that kind of stuff. You know, I love the the Jack Londons, the James Dickies, people like that. But many of those stories, or most of them arguably, are, are pretty kind of narrow in the demographic. And I really wanted to write an adventure or survival story that was more reflective of the diversity of the world as, as I know it. Um, and so I created this this story that involves these four characters um, and, and one of them uh, his name is Todd and he is a, a corporate lawyer, a white corporate lawyer works in Brentwood. Uh, he's doing very well. Uh, but uh, and has a kind of fancy life uh, but he's, he's feeling pretty out of touch with his very blue collar Midwestern roots and so he's trying to get back to a, a kind of authenticity uh, no, the next character is Oscar and he is a Latino real estate agent who's both contributing to, disturbed by and contributing to um, the gentrification of Highland Park, uh, lives in Glassell Park so, and for there's, there's some of us who actually live in Glassell Park and don't claim Mount Washington, you know that's, uh, there's a, uh, and I see some of my neighbors here I don't know if you you know there's a, there's a house for sale right now that's being advertised as Mount Washington. It's like oh really you're right next door to us and we live in Glassell Park. But uh, <laughs> but. Um... <laughs> I actually do say something about that in the book, but, uh, but so there's Oscar, and he's, you know, he's used to uh, kind of fast life, fast cars, fast women, lots of money, but he's also single dad, and so he is getting to the point of trying to make some choices that are going to have different uh, impact on his family. Uh, then there is Gwen, and she is an African-American uh, social youth worker uh, type who wor- lives in South Los Angeles. Regina I returned to South Los Angeles finally this years ago this this wonderful professor here who taught Southland said are you gonna write again about South Los Angeles so I've wrote written again about South LA um, but works in Watts and is very committed to her work but also feeling a level of burnout and really recovering from the death of uh, the suicide of, of one of her kids um, and then there is uh, Tracy who is the the group leader and she is uh, like me half Japanese half white um, I hope a little I hope I'm not quite as crazy, um, and she is a trainer in a, uh, in, a, in, a in a local gym, um, and she is uh, she's the link between the others. And so Tracy leads them all on this four-day backpacking trip uh, to to the Sierra. And although these characters are very different, they're all in their late 30s, early 40s, so they're they're at a particular point of kind of early middle age, uh, and and where things are starting to you know you're worried about family, career um, choices, your body's starting to change a little bit. And so it was fun to talk about that. And then this book also was an opportunity uh, to write about, again, parts of L.A. that don't often appear in fiction. You know, to to write about places like glass Park, Highland Park, uh, Watts, that are not necessarily written about in in a positive light. Um, So I'm going to start by reading a little section from the the very first chapter, and this uh, involves Gwen. So I'm going to read just two short sections, like four or five minutes each. And the kid uh, that she lost, his name is Robert. Gwen turned onto a street that led into the housing project where Robert and his family had lived. It was a labyrinth of two-story bungalows that might have once been green. As always, she was struck by the desolation. On the dead grass between the units were old sinks and barbecue grills, piles of rusted bike and auto parts. Laundry waved from clotheslines, colorful items that stood out against the gray sky, like flags hung in surrender. A few proud residents struggled mightily against their surroundings. Their entryways were swept clean, with maybe a potted plant or two. But this couldn't make up for the heavy gates over the doors, the paint flaking off the walls, the chunks of roof that collapsed with each rain. There were kids everywhere, youths circling on bikes, toddlers sitting on stoops with their mothers or grandmothers, a group of middle school kids throwing around a football. A dozen little ones waited for the single swing on an otherwise broken playset. Gwen wove her way through the development, looking but not stopping when she passed the row where Robert had lived. Once he had been one of those kids, sitting on a stoop. Now he was gone, and she couldn't bear to look for very long at the place where he should have been, but wasn't. Just as Gwen turned into her parking lot, her cell phone rang. She picked it up and saw the caller ID, Aileen Richardson and let it ring one more time before she answered. Hi, Mom. Oh, hello, Gwen, her mother said, sounding distracted, as if Gwen had been the one to call her. Are you at work? Yes, Gwen said. Where else would she be? Good, good. I was just calling to remind you that Dana's birthday is on Friday. Yes, Mom, I know. I sent a card today. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. You know how lonely your sister gets up there at school. It's good for her to hear from her family. Gwen tried to quell her irritation. Her sister, she knew, was just fine. Twelve years younger than Gwen, she was now a first-year student at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Dana had been raised in a totally different era of their mother's life. She'd grown up in the house in Ladera Heights that had just been a stopping point for Gwen, had been lavished with clothes and trips and extracurricular activities, had been part of Jack and Jill, a young women's leadership group at church, the AKAs at Berkeley. Now, at 24, Dana's birthday was still celebrated with as much fanfare as if she were a child. Yet there had been years in Gwen's own childhood when she lived with her great-aunt that Aileen had forgotten Gwen's birthday altogether. I'm not going to be able to call her on Friday, though, Mom, Gwen said, but I mentioned that in the card. Why not? I'm going on my backpacking trip this weekend, remember? A tense silence, then a sigh. Yes, now I recall. You're really going to do that, Gwendolyn? <laughs> yes, mother, I'm really going to do that. It just sounds so uncivilized. I mean, how will you bathe? How will you use the restroom? Where will you sleep? On the ground? Gwen didn't answer, partly because she wondered these things herself. <laughs> If you really want to know, I'll tell you later. <laughs> she stared out past the fence that enclosed the property and over toward the railroad tracks, where a mangy brown dog picked hungrily through a mountain of trash. I just don't know how you got this idea in the first place, Alien continued. It's not the kind of thing we've ever done. Gwen thought Riley that her mother had little idea of what she'd done, but she kept this observation to herself. "'Chris and Terry Nelson went on backpacking trips every summer,' she said, remembering her mother's neighbors. "'Yes, but they're boys,' Aileen replied. She didn't add, although Gwen knew, she thought, and white. "'And speaking of boys, are there any men going with you?' "'Yes, three men. Couldn't one of them carry your things?' (laughs) "'No, Mom. They'll have their own backpacks.' Well, I don't know what kind of man would let a woman carry so much weight. (coughs) She stayed silent, waiting for her mother to launch into her lecture about Gwen's non existent love life, but she didn't. And is a hotel too expensive? Aileen asked. Is that why you're sleeping outside? It's not that. We want to be outdoors. I really wish you'd do something that would pay you a decent salary. (laughs) And here we go, Gwen thought, out of nowhere. I like my job, Mom. You've done your part giving back, don't you think? I just worry about you in that dangerous area with all those desperate people. You could always go to business school at night, you know, or even law school. Seward and I could help you. Thanks, listen, I have to go. I'll give you a call before I leave. Gwen hung up, took a deep breath, and got out of the car. She never failed to rile her, Gwen's mother. In the space of five minutes, Aileen had managed to denigrate both the white people whose unclean habits Gwen appeared to be emulating and and the black and Latino kids with whom she worked. So that's Gwen. Um, So you get to know all of the characters, at least three of the main characters in the in the beginning of the book, and they each have their kind of backstory and their reason for going. And then the, the four of them all leave Los Angeles and go on this trip, and they have planned this four-day backpacking trip. But once they get to the ranger station to pick up their permit, it turns out there is a forest fire, and they can't go on their originally planned trip. And there's actually, as you may know, a big forest fire happening right now in uh, uh, Kings Canyon. Um, so... They're trying to figure out what to do, and the the ranger, you know, gives them a couple suggestions. None of them sound great. And then he says, you know, there's this one trail you might want to check out, the trail that no one has been on for many years, and he even has a hand-drawn map. Of it, which is this map here um, to a mysterious and beautiful place called Lost Canyon, and so they decide this is a good idea, and they they start to go on this this alternative trip um, and at first, everything looks you know seems fine you know it 's beautiful it's exhilarating it's gorgeous, all the things that they they went for. And then they stumble onto someone who does not really want to be found, um, as, as sometimes can happen. And so they kind of get into two different kinds of trouble. Uh, one around some illegal uh, growing of some drugs in the mountains, and the second around uh, a group of white supremacists. And uh, and you, you may or may not know, I always think this is interesting in this incredibly diverse state that we have, that California actually has more hate groups than any other state in America. Um, so so, as you can imagine you know, when this very diverse group of hikers from Los Angeles stumbles upon these folks uh, they're not received with welcome arms and so bad things happen um, and ultimately our characters have to uh, uh, make some interesting choices difficult choices, unthinkable choices and run for their lives and try to get out of the mountains um, so that's what sets off kind of the adventure survival um, aspect um, what else did I want to say um, oh yes Like every adventure survival story, which is part of why I love them, when, folks really, when everything's on the line, when your life's at stake, you really kind of get to see who people are, you know, under pressure. And so it was kind of fun to, to have the characters face that pressure. And each of them has, faces a certain kind of reckoning. Um, and this book, although it's an adventure novel and although all these people have their individual stories, is also about more. You know, it's, it's about drugs and drug policy, it's about race and racial identity, as well as class and, and gender. Uh, because for all these characters, you, who they are and where, where they come from, and the assumptions that they carry influences both how people respond to them, obviously, but also how they read particular situations. You know, what one person thinks might be a perfectly okay situation, the other thinks is maybe not so okay. And so you see the, the differences in perception. Um, it's also about, you know, kind of, again, early middle age um, and uh, about the city, you know, about poverty, about gentrification, about youth. Um, one good piece of luck for these characters is that they happen upon a dog, um, and who belongs to actually to one of the bad guys. And the dog kind of switches sides, and and uh, she's she's a border collie, so she's very smart. So she she ends up with the with the good good guys and uh, plays a plays a pretty significant role in the book. Um, so and then of course ultimately the book is, is also about about uh, you know, both the power and the restorative uh, uh, ability of, of nature. So the last thing I'm going to read, just a, a, another short section, is later on in the book. This is after they've already encountered some bad people. some bad things have happened, and they are running for their lives. But you also get a sense of what the mountains look like and feel like. And this is a Todd chapter. They marched on without talking. The ground was nearly level they were moving through the bottom of the valley. A bright blue cellars jay shot through a cluster of trees, turning sideways and touching each trunk lightly with its feet, like a skier running a slalom course. They passed a tree with a giant mushroom growing out of its side, like a white fleshy ear turned downward to hear messages from the ground. Then Todd stopped to point out a clump of coarse black hair stuck on the side of a tree. Look, he said, a bear used this tree to scratch his back. Oscar squinted at the hair and shivered. Wow, he must have been a big one. Is there any other kind, Gwen said. (laughs) Let's keep going. They kept walking a bit faster, and then suddenly they were out of the woods. It was lighter now, almost 7 a.m. The peaks on either side of them were lit orange and gold in the early morning sun. They were flanked by huge boulder fields, amazingly white, like giant snowballs that had rolled downhill. Beyond them, at the end of the valley... Massive spires and sharp pinnacles with sheets of snow draped between them extended thousands of feet into the sky. Todd's heart lifted despite everything. He'd never seen such grandeur. He looked again at the corridor between the turrets and pinnacles, which framed the valley all the way to its end. It was like strolling down an avenue lined with cathedrals. It was like walking into the arms of God. Directly in front of them was a basin they had seen from the top, But what had looked like a small break in the trees now revealed itself to be a bigger open space. It was probably a mile across, maybe more. The land was uneven, patches of green and brown, interspersed with slabs of granite. In the middle of it all was a lake. A small stream fed into it and then flowed out the other side. This in turn, Todd knew, would eventually lead to other water, one of the countless rivers that rose up in California and flowed all the way to the sea. Well, there's our water, he said. Yeah, good, Gwen said, but look at those mountains. Now Todd looked up ahead of them and saw why Gwen was worried. He'd been so focused on the beauty around him that he hadn't thought about what awaited when they got to the valley's end. From the ridge, the peaks to the east had looked formidable but distant. From here, he could see the full scope of them. The range they had to cross was massive, a jagged spine of sharp, barren peaks, easily over 13,000 feet. But he was still overcome by a sense of awe and a sudden understanding of the land. The western Sierra built gradually, with gentle foothills and lush valleys and hospitable forests. Now they were approaching the starker eastern Sierra, where one plate of the earth had pushed under another and thrust the mountains into the sky. How are we supposed to get over those, Oscar asked, sounding disheartened. We can totally do it, Tracy insisted. Oscar looked uncertain, even angry. "'I don't know, Tracy. I think we're in deep shit.' "'We can do it,' Todd agreed. He was examining the peaks closely. "'There's that shoulder I saw before between the two peaks. "'It looks lower than the rest of the range,' he paused. "'There's a pass way to the right, too. "'That's probably our best bet.' "'But from the valley floor, this seemed very high "'and terribly far away.' "'Todd's confidence snagged, began to falter, "'but he fought this and looked squarely at the others. "'Let's go,' he said.' We need to keep moving. They stepped away from the cover of trees and out into the open, and Todd flinched involuntarily, expecting a shot. Nothing came. They picked their way over the soft, springy earth, passing boulders as big as trucks. With each step, they could see more of the slope they'd descended that morning, and it was bathed in brilliant light. There was no movement, and Todd was relieved. It doesn't look like anyone's up there, Gwen said, as if reading his mind. They all paused and looked back. You're right, Tracy said. Well, let's keep moving before someone is. Okay. Thank you. Did y'all did y'all notice the uh, the kind of beer? I'm not. I'm not subtle. It really is one of my favorite beers, though. So, um, okay. So, uh, I would love to hear any any questions. Um, does anyone have anything they want to ask or complain about or <laughs> comment, comment? on? Yes. So did you hike when you were young, or was it research for this book that was the first N- sleep on the ground trip? No, I uh, I'm a relatively. I've, I hiked for a long time. Probably, you know, I, I really started. Where's Naomi? She's still here? She was here? Yeah, okay. So you read this thing. The, um, I actually started hiking in Japan uh, in my early twenties, I lived in a mountainous area and I just had never really noticed mountains before and, uh, started hiking there. And then I lived in the, you know, Ithaca area, which is beautiful in New York. And then I came back here and I thought, Whoa, there's mountains. I hadn't, hadn't noticed them and, uh, just (laughs) came to them. I mean, you grow up in LA and you think about the beach, you know, and, and, uh, but I started hiking fairly late as an adult and then just fell in love with it and then kept getting frustrated that I had to come back. I'd go out further and further and have to come back. And so, but you, know the backpacking only started a few years ago, and I just fell in love with it really hard um and think about it as Felicia can attest just about all the i, I I'm just thinking of a, the story I, she came out out of the bedroom one day and uh, I was holding a magazine like this, you know, kind of looking at a centerfold and, you know she's like what what are you looking at?" I'm like, it's a mountain <laughs> it was it was a mountain, so um yeah. So all all of these, you know, that even that that little bit that I read to you, I can literally tell you which, you know, like the the scene, you know, that the thing of the the avalanches, you know, the the snowballs are like rolling downhill. That was from a trip that we were on. Um, and then the thing about the uh, the mushroom, with, you know, with the with the ear of the ground, that's up to where we go. Um, and then the the bear. Uh, I was just about to imitate a bear scratching, his, um, but you know, I've seen that several times. Or the thing with the blue jays happened just. Last year on the trip that we were on, so it's you know, and and I mean this this book cover is, uh, you know the there's a story in the book about uh, just a little throwaway anecdote about a um, a bear. Well, actually, it's a deer that fell over a waterfall, 200 foot waterfall, um, in a storm, and then a bear came and dragged the took the carcass away and dragged it up a mountain. And I saw that I saw that happen, you know, and and so. It, it, so I had to put that in there so you know there's, so there's just like little bits of things you know anecdotes from different things that I've worked into the story so I think I want to chime in there just to answer this question you know I knew her for just a little bit I we remember like Trish and I were sitting there and we were sitting there and there was this point and she's walking around her neighborhood with a backpack and like wow Never know when you might have to set up camp, you know. So it's always good to go go prepared. So I don't do that regularly, you know, but uh, I do sometimes use my headlamp in the neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) Was that training for Whitney? Maybe. Okay. Yeah, that's possible. (laughs) So, I mean, so most of your research was sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. empirical. You were out there doing it. Mm -hmm. Was there any other yes, the only other, and I mean it's, it's funny because we talk, the, the only, and many of you know, many of my books are historical, you know, set in and have a lot of detail and do involve a lot of research and actual looking in books, looking at stuff, you know. This just involved opening my eyes and being present and 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 open to the world around me and so one of the things that that is is so important to me is is that the kind of beauty that that I connect to and I think that people can connect to is not just out in the wilderness it's right here in the city you know and that the, there are descriptions of what a cactus flower looks like in Los Angeles when it you know or what the clouds look like against the mountains or you know a humming there's, there's so much to notice that's right here if you are open to to paying attention to it so I didn't go on any of these trips. The, the one thing that was, was useful, actually, is that, that when we went... Wa- I had written the book. I was done with the book. and But I had never gone on a trip in late June, which is when these characters go. And so uh, a couple of us went on just a weekend trip last summer in late June, and I learned some very important things, like it's freezing as hell in late June that things freeze overnight, which I hadn't... Oh, okay, so I I had to change some things. You know, wildflowers are indifferent, But it's not like I went out there purposely to do research. I went out there because I wanted to be out there and then was struck by a lot of stuff. So the things I really had to do research on were specific to, um, related to the weed production. You know, and 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 kind of the 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 levels of elevation at, at which which we have since um, learned also unintentionally by seeing some. You know, and and uh, and you know, pe- people do grow some stuff. You know, and do- they don't really want you to find it. You know, and and uh, and then also to white supremacy because when you spend time on either side of the mountains, um, and you you mentioned someone mentioned Whitney. Have has have pe- folks have been to Lone Pine and 395 and Manzanar and. There are some scary people out there. And if you walk through, someone wrote me um, recently, just in the last couple of weeks, saying that they had not realized, they were in Lone Pine and they were walking around and they were seeing Confederate flags. I said, yes, you know, Alabama Hills, you know, those wonderful, beautiful rocks uh, right in front of Mount Whitney, were na- was named after Confederate worship. So, like, th- there, there is a history of, you know, of, of hatred, you know, and then on the other side of the mountains, there's there's also a lot of white supremacist activity. We've run into some pretty scary people. We ran into some scary people just a couple weeks ago, you know. And uh, so I had to do some research on that. What groups are active? You know, what groups are active in what parts of California? What kind of tattoos are they going to have? Because there's there is different, um, there are variations amongst the different groups. So that that kind of stuff. But but the bulk of it was was just lived, lived experience, and then trying to collect. Either every misadventure I've ever had, um, and 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 combine it with every misadventure I worry about having. <laughs> so, yes. You the you know I actually haven't. When I run into scary people, it's not been in the back country. It's been like in the foothills or in the in the stores or you know in the like the gas station and the meth labs and you know there's a lot of scary activity in in some rural areas. But um, I've never really felt threatened in the back country by a person. I've been scared shitless of bears, um, but now that I have encountered them enough times, I mean you get over it, right? Like it's it's kind of exciting, you know. But they run they run away from you, you know, it, and. Uh, But the thing that really scares me the most is lightning. Um, and just cause you are so, you are so, it, I remember thinking, being in my first lightning storm at elevation, you know, at seven or 8,000 feet, and this was just on a day hike. It was so powerful. I remember thinking, it feels right now that I'm in the place where storms are made. Like it is, you know, it, it was just incredible. And then, um, we were out on a trip. Remember we came back from that trip and it turned out that, that there had been lightning strikes and trees that fell down and, you know, so that's the stuff that really scares me and it still scares me. So, Anybody else? Yes, Lee. Um, do you think this book, just because of its subject matter, opens up kind of a new audience for you all, in like adventure and all that? I don't know if it's your. Know, you know, I. Ahead, but I, I can see other people being, discovering you through it. I hope so, but you know, my, my books are kind of weird, you know, in, in that they're not like it's the, in a good way. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Um, it may but because it's so it is an adventure survival book but it's also so much about the city it's about race it's about other things that you know I can just imagine like you know the bros who go like backpack you know on the the PCT you know I I can't who knows Um, we'll see you can never you can never predict what people are going to connect to or not Um, and just the same way like folks who are really interested in reading about the city are not necessarily I I can't tell you how many people have already said to me I'm never going to go on a hike after <laughs> I, read, I read this, you know, so I don't know anybody else, all the questions in this side of the room, yes thank you I do, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to talk about work. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, the, the, I don't know if people heard the question. She was talking about Southland and different communities, and she asked about the work. I work for a uh, wonderful nonprofit that uh, works with, with kids uh, in poverty, but particularly those who've been affected by uh, family and community violence. And we work mostly in Central Los Angeles and in South Los Angeles. So, And a lot of my life right now is wrapped up in work that we're doing in Watts. Um, and we're... we're uh, it's it, this there's a weird convergence of my real life and writing life um, with this book that has never really occurred before um, including the timing um, but it's also really wonderful because I got to write about a place that is very dear to me you know and that, that I'm giving both my creative work you know energy to but also my work energy um, and even though the part that I read is kind of a dire description you know when it circles back to Watts the book ends in watts and it ends it, it um, it's a a very um, loving and hopeful description, um, which I think is reflective, you know, those those two sides are reflective, I think, of of my reality. Um, So, you know, a lot of my colleagues are here, and uh, they just, you know, I'm a a suit, you know, I don't do the real work, you know, many of the people who are here, well... (laughs) You don't have to say that. <laughs> but, um, but you know, the folks who really work with the kids and families are just are my, my heroes. So, Okay, you had your hand up. Yeah, I read about you in the Times. Oh, I heard thank you on you. the video. So, and I'm so excited to, to discover you and to read your book. Thank you. Um, but I went hiking as a teenager and ran into some very scary white people and mm-hmm. to be more afraid of white folks. Than mm-hmm. Them. Mm-hmm. And they were really... Um, Ever since then, I I can't really go hiking Mm -hmm. in the park or Mm to hikes. I went to Joshua Tree and I got really afraid of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. I always Mm -hmm. think I'm going to run into them. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. I I can't wait to read your book. Well, and you go with you go with friends, and you're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but also you were born in Japan. Right? I was born in Japan, yeah. When you went, did you go back again? In yeah, I lived there. I lived in Japan until I was five, came to the U.S. My mom's Japanese. Uh, my whole family's still there, uh, except for her. The, everyone else on, on her side is still in Japan. Um, and then I went back after college for a couple of years and started to hike, as I said. And I just remember hiking in this little, you know, several thousand foot, but now it seems, you know, mountain in town. And it kicked my butt. I was like 22, 23, 24. And I remember trying to go up the hill in this. This gentleman who was like in his 70s just did I tell you this story? No, Zoomed true. up the hill you know and, I, and I'm like oh God and I, I can speak Japanese well enough to say you know wow this is really uh, difficult and he said oh no it's not I do this every day you know and then I got up to the little shrine at the top with a little sign in you know a book and in fact he had signed it every single day and talk about feeling lame but, uh, but it motivated me. Um, yeah. Yes sure sure. Did you experience the race. I lived in Japan a long time myself. Mm-hmm. Experience the racism of being. Out. Oh sure, yes. yeah, but it was not as intense in Japan as it was living then, into, moving to rural Wisconsin and being the only kid of color in a very homogeneous environment. Um, that was very, very difficult, and it really at a young age shaped my understanding of race in this country. Um, and so, and it, it still influenced. You know, that's that's what my last book was about. Oh. <laughs> Also, there's hope in that too all of my books have as you know like they have some tough stuff but, but they're also you know ultimately pretty pretty hopeful I'm a pretty optimistic person so I take joy in many things yes hi hi these characters are afraid for their lives right if they know what's good for them yeah yeah <laughs> like yep. very do they ever say God please get me out of course do they have different varied ideas about a God or a higher absolutely Oh yeah, that was, that, was, that was something I thought about carefully. They're, they're, they have different uh, kind of experiences of faith. And I do know, although I've never been in danger from people, I have been in a bad enough situation, a couple of bad enough situations in the... Oh, didn't someone ask me what the scariest thing was? The scariest thing was being on Mount Rainier and it, at high camp when this huge noise happened. We were all in our tents and everyone jumped up because it was either a rock fall or an ice fall. And we we were supposed to be asleep. We all jumped up and I was scared for my life. And what made me even more scared for my life was knowing that the very worst accident in the history of Mount Rainier, which was an ice fall that swept 18 climbers into a crevasse and killed them, um, had happened right where we were sleeping. Um, And so we made it. Obviously, I survived. We made it to... uh, You should see the looks I'm getting right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, we made it, so I asked the guy, because that's a very dangerous, you've got to go roped up with that, you know, and, and so I asked the guy, like, well, where are the bodies, you know, where are they? And he said, we're basically sleeping right on top of them. <laughs> so, that was the, and there was a lightning storm so and so, we did, ended up not being able to summit because there was this huge storm so that was probably the most, that was, that was pretty scary um, but yes they have different experiences of faith and I know what it's like to be out there the thing about when you are in trouble and I wasn't in serious trouble is that you just realize no one can help you, there is no communication you know you don't have and that is a very you know. but there's something also kind of amazing about what are you going to do when everything's on the line and you only have yourself to depend on so that was kind of fun to imagine Anybody else? Yes. I'm wondering, you know, in Southland, um, characters come together in sort of an organic way. They have to live locally and they're layering. In this one, it seems as though you had to figure out a way to bring them together. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that process of figuring out how to bring them together and then what that is? Sure. um, uh, I was telling about Tracy the, the trainer so there there's a place um, so I'm in my 40s and right about when I hit 41 everything started to fall apart. <laughs> um, I had a knee problem I had an Achilles problem I had some other pro- like just thing after thing after thing after thing and so I went actually Bernadette recommended uh, suggested a place called cats in Pasadena. Everybody should go there. Um, it's a physical therapy. Teresa, you've been there. I took you there. Um, the the, uh, the <laughs> spreading the gospel, <laughs> but it's uh, an incredible physical therapy place. But it's 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 for it's very athletic. You know, it makes you. I lifted weights like I hadn't in college. But it just it ma- it literally changed how I felt about my body and how strong the body was. And it just that, that you realize if something hurts here, it's not just because of the knee. It's because of this and that and everything else. And so what was interesting is that you sit on these tables because you're as you warm up. Up, you ice you you heat and you meet all the people around you and and so now you're going see i've i've converted someone else and the the amazing range of the people who go um, was very striking to me it's the physical therapy side so people from all walks of life so you could have a lawyer and a tech guy uh, and a high school athlete you know and a writer um, I met, uh, uh, it's funny Megan, uh, Alan Zarembo, that's where I ran into him there because we were both you know doing physical therapy and so I thought how am I first of all I just so fell in love with the place how am I going to bring these characters together from different parts of the city and that became the vehicle is that they all were the clients essentially of this one trainer or this one place. So and yeah, it was hard because how do you put together Brentwood, Watts, and Highland Park? Um, and that's that's how I tried to do it. Good question. Uh, there aren't a lot of stories out there about like people of color in nature.
1: Right.
0: Or in pink. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up because that was one of the things in, in not being able to fully read my notes that I forgot to mention is that that this is also a book about diversity or the lack thereof in the environment and the ways that you, that oh my god I could talk about this for half an hour <laughs> but when you you will hear I'll just try to I'll try to limit myself to like four or five things. <laughs> things um, you hear all this stuff which I think is true about the lack of diversity in for example national parks and th- on the one hand that is that is that is true and I think the parks have not done a good enough job of reaching out making the experience accessible to people so there's that but the other part of it is that that's also simplistic because if you go to Chantry Flats here if you go to places in the Sierra that are not the national parks that charge you 25 bucks you know or 20 bucks to, to get in um, there are folks of color like you you would not believe and you know sledding camping you know hey enjoy but not necessarily in a formalized way and the experience is different it's not necessarily about going off into the wilderness it's about family it's about what you can do you know you go to Elysian Park you go to Kenneth Hahn Park you go to and it's a very different experience and so there's a kind of disconnect in how people talk about nature um but it, it is so I think that when it's so complicated. I think that people of color do enjoy nature, but there also has to be a way to communicate, and part of that has to be having staff in parks and places that reflect kids, that reflect the the race and class backgrounds of everybody and not just, you know, who they think is the outdoors. I read something very interesting um, by a, a, a African-American um, academic out of Berkeley who actually went through Outside Magazine and Backpacker Magazine. I subscribe to both of these things, but she talked about the number of images of people of color in pictures over like 10 or 15 years it was so abysmal and so how if you know it's so there's there are all kinds of disconnects but at the same time you know I can tell you we take kids to camp you know, and how our kids respond amazingly when they have a chance to interact. The, the, the boys, I don't want to just say boys, but especially, love bugs, you know, and they love trees and they love to pick up leaves and they feel you know, so so it's about having kind of the the guides or the ability to to introduce and and the, the connections. All that being said, there's also much more complicated history, you know, so because for a lot of, of communities of color, nature is scary. You know, nature is 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 has not good connotations, it has connotations of being chased or it has connotations of working in the fields and why the hell would you want to be outside if you're working in the fields all day you know and that's that's so there's so many levels to this but yes one of the things I was really trying to do was talk about people of color in nature you know whether it's city or or the wilderness and kind of push that a little bit and to to depict it because people are out there so thank you for that question sorry if I went on too long about that but it's a passion Um, anybody else you guys have been so patient One last, anything. What's your next big adventure? Oh. Um, you know, I was supposed to, I had to cancel two different backpacking trips this summer because um, of family stuff. And so that has been heartbreaking. The only, the only thing about the forest fires is that it might have impacted our trip. So at least there's, there's that. But uh, so next summer, it's going to have to be next summer. Yeah, so probably a week long trip um, next summer and a couple shorter ones. So thank you. Um, again, thank you so much for being here. Um, just really appreciate it. Thank you for the questions. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.